What is up, diehards? Wes Monell in the building for AWOL Sports. Kicking it with Drew LaCuesta. You already know the deal. Talking week one takeaways that we have in our notes here. And let's start from the top. Something in general about week one. 11 of 16 games had a player go over 100 yards receiving. Only one was a tight end, which was Dallas Goddard. Three tight ends during the week actually led their game in receiving. Goddard. Hunter Henry, and Jared Cook. Drew, what was your takeaway, man? Twelve of the starting quarterbacks actually had a passer rating of over 100. Uh, That's higher than usual. And the young guns actually took it to the vets. We had 10 out of the 16 quarterbacks. um, 10 of the 16 quarterback winners beat their opposing quarterback that was older than them. So the young guns took it to them in week one. They did, certainly. And, uh, hey, as far as some takeaways from all the games we just went through and watched in week one, full of excitement, we saw the Chiefs handle the Texans 34-20. to What I picked up from that game, Deshaun Watson actually averaged one second longer in the pocket than Pat Mahomes with 3.14 seconds, but somehow ended up with double the pressure at 36%. Another thing to note, Chiefs DC, Steve Spagnuolo, been around a little bit. He called dime package for 18 snaps to match Houston's speed. We'll see if that was due to playing with a lead, knowing Houston had to pass, or due to the specific matchup, and if they'll continue to utilize that all season. What did you see from this game? My guy, man, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He was as good as advertised. They trusted him with 25 totes, 138 yards, and he averaged 5.5 yards a carry. Mahomes, only eight incompletions. Surprisingly, no completions over 20 yards. Kelsey, Tyreek, still dominating, and Sammy Watkins turned back time. He does it again, highlighting in week one. I don't think we've seen the team's full potential yet, so that's kind of crazy. But remember, last year, Houston beat Kansas City in the regular season by seven. They controlled time of possession. They had a great rushing performance. And they plugged the Chiefs running game. They didn't do any of those things that game. Deshaun was sacked four times, hit eight times, and he was definitely scrambling plenty. O-line an issue again. Biggest concerns I had for Watson this year was their D can't stop the run. Some injury issues for David Johnson and Will Fuller. We saw David Johnson already that game getting checked out on the sideline. And they have two new wide receivers taking over important roles. They got to do something about this defense, the run game, and the protection. You got to protect your best asset, man. Hey, I I thought they did, to be honest with you. Um, I think sometimes it's Deshaun Watson, whether whether he's not reading the field or if it's the receivers. It's obviously a combination between the two. Moving things along, the Colts, they lost to the Jaguars week one. They lost by a touchdown, and – you know what? The Jags were outgained by 200 yards, and there are three reasons why they won this game. One, the turnover battle, two to nothing. Two, Gardner Minshew managed the game going 19 of 20. You don't hear that every day. You don't hear that every week. And he didn't throw the ball all over the yard or anything like that. He just managed the game, only one incompletion. Simple as that, nothing pretty. And three, going into the fourth tied at 17, they rose to the occasion by winning the quarter 10-3. to Someone to watch moving forward. 
first-round cornerback C.J. Henderson. Impressive debut where he graded 84.2 on PFF with an interception. What's your takeaway from this one? Yeah, so much for tanking, right? Minshew mania all over again. Uh, Jacksonville, yeah, outmatched statistically in a lot of phases, but 50% on third downs and forcing two big interceptions, and they won the turnover battle. So highlight James Robinson, man. He was doing the most. Gardner Minshew, yeah, he was managing, but I think he was surgical at some moments too. He's throwing in traffic, sideline throws, converting for a lot of those first downs, and his two touchdowns were great, man. A tight window read to Chark, and another one progressively reading for LaVisca Chenault, the rookie. Had a 142 rating, man. That's pretty impressive. But they do score off both Rivers interceptions. You mentioned him, man. They took C.J. Henderson high, the rookie. He had the first big defensive play, picking off Rivers. And he also had the last big defensive play, defending on T.Y. Hilton, who dropped a pass with time close to expiring on that comeback drive. He did, man. And um, Rivers, too, on the other side. He debuted for the Colts. It was ruined. Ruined by Gardner in the mustache years, man. <laughs> um, Mack and Hines, they were getting it done. Jonathan Taylor even had a, a couple of big plays. Rivers was Rivers, the good and the bad. They did have a questionable call, though. Two failed goal line runs by their smaller back, Hines. Not sure what that was about, but Rivers threw three picks. One of them was actually called back by a defensive penalty. And on the last drive, Hilton drops two big catches in the scoring position. Very unlike him. Indeed. Uh, good takeaways there. And, Drew, we're going to talk about one of the Monday night games, uh, the Titans, 16-14 victory over the Broncos. W watching sports for so long, I've had a lot of moments where I see someone go through adversity, yet there are underlying flashes. No, I'm not talking about the kickers, Gustowski or anything like that. He's been a vet. I know we had surgery in offseason. Uh, and – we kind of all knew it was going to come down to a kick. So good for the guy and the Titans. They're sticking with him. Mike Vrabel, of course, familiar with Gostowski. But look, usually I like to find lesser known players that fit this bill. But in week one, it was obviously Jerry Judy, someone that went through adversity, underlying flashes. You can just see it. This guy can get open. And those two drops, I know they were highlighted in that game, big moments. I don't expect that to haunt him, to be honest. Other than the occasional drop most receivers go through, Judy caught four for 56 with two erratic throws from Drew Locke. And his routes on full display in his debut. This young offense, it's pretty exciting to see that they get a chance to grow together, and I'm interested. Uh, how about you, Drew, from this Monday Nighter? Yeah, Tennessee should have actually had this one, 28 to 14, if they haven't, they didn't um, struggle so much with kicking. But aside from that, they were missing a lot of players on defense, too. They still had a good outing. Tannehill showed out, 43 attempts. He had a 98 rating with two touchdowns. The commitment to Derrick Henry and the run game pretty much brought them this W, and they won the turnover battle. I think that was a difference here. But overall, Drew Locke, I think he played pretty well. He did everything he was asked to. His athleticism actually allowed him to do a little bit more. No turnovers by him. He actually threw a really nice scrambling touchdown outside the pocket, and he was evading pressure pretty well. Unfortunately, the veteran of their offense, Melvin, he had the one turnover in their own red zone, fumbling the ball away that led to a Tennessee touchdown. 
Judy, man, showed why he was taken 15th overall. The Broncos should have had this game. They had the lead in the fourth. Tannehill was struggling to complete down the field. They played soft coverage. And on that final Tennessee drive, committed a big defensive PI penalty by the rookie. But they had three timeouts. The opposing kicker was struggling. They had a great long-range kicker in the best kicking stadium. But when it was all said and done, he took those two timeouts in his pocket. They took the L. Yeah, and a team in their division that did not take the L, the Los Angeles Chargers, they went over to Cincinnati. They escaped by a field goal, 16-13, due to a missed field goal at the end, a chip shot for the Bengals, no good. But my focus, my takeaway from this game, Joe Burrow's last drive starts at his own 17, down a field goal. He runs up the middle on the first play, then – on the ensuing plays, seven of nine passes for 70 yards to get down to the three-yard line. Seven seconds left. A.J. Green one-on-one against Casey Hayward on the far right. Green runs a comeback route, extends his arm to gain separation, catches the pass in the end zone, but he gets called for offensive pass interference. And, of course, like we said, the kicker misses a 31-yard chip shot for the loss. Look, man. Burrow showed moxie on that last drive, a little bit of what we actually expected to see. I don't know how soon or how late we expected to see this kind of Joe Burrow. We saw it in week one on the last drive, even though we know it's, it's, you got to pass. We, we all know the deal. You're, you're playing from behind, trying to get a win at the end. Uh, but I also see the first points of the game. He scored on a 23 yard scramble. So, I like the moxie this kid showed. I love the last drive. And if anything, we know it should have at least been an overtime game. It, they could be 1-0 and right now in regulation in overtime. Uh, again, not a team that's expected to get a lot of victories. Not a team that's expected to make a playoff run. But certainly something to take away is their future is as bright as they think it is. Yes, they're going to go through the roller coaster ride. But I enjoyed it, at least on that last drive from Joe Burrow in the offense. What did you see? Escape is right, man. That's the key word. Could have easily been a loss for the Chargers. Tyrod Taylor wasn't really able to shake off the cobwebs. He was 10 points less than his normal completion percentage and almost 20%, 20 points off his normal quarterback rating. But I still see him make some great throws. Mike Williams... His athletic ability in his hands played a huge part to his success. Um, pass rush was key. They got three sacks, six hits on the quarterback, and Melvin Gordon, Melvin uh, Ingram on the D-line actually got a pick. They got the chunk plays. They won the turnover battle. They got three points off a forced fumble in the opponent's red zone. That was definitely key. When it came down to the final drive, they didn't give up anything big, and the W just fell in their lap. But, man, Burrow, in my opinion, yeah, man, great debut. He did some rookie things, but he also made some respect-worthy plays. Defense did a pretty solid job. They only gave up one touchdown. They stopped the Chargers twice, actually, on fourth down. Pretty stingy in the red zone as well. A rare fumble my mix-in deep in their own territory. Cost them three points, unfortunately, which was also the deficit for the game. Burrow, you said it, man, challenging for rookies. We're going to see mistakes like that, but he definitely showed his ability to use his athleticism too made some difficult throws, some really challenging throws, and he was clutch, last drive. Tight zone coverage, tight man coverage, he made it happen, man. He marches down the field, throws a dart to AJ, called OPI. 
questionable in my opinion, but he got bungled, man. His kicker pulled his cap or something and missed the field goal. Feel bad for him. Yeah, as most of us probably do. And um, let's stick in, in the division, AFC North. Browns pounded by the Ravens. Man, I, I rewatched this game for a third time last night. I have to tell you, I, I was intently watching for the moment in the game I thought the Browns got in their own head or the Ravens just kind of crushed their spirit, so to speak. There was no particular moment I can come up with after watching this game three freaking times. It, I would describe it as kind of a machine, to be honest with you. I, I know everyone's high on the Ravens. I'm not down on the Ravens. I just, I'm more in wait and see. I'm more in show me mode. And look, man, the Ravens, they're kind of like a snake. They, they slither around you before they kind of tighten up and suffocate you. I mean, it kind of just hit the Browns. I, I'm telling you, I was looking for that moment in the game, and it was just consistency from the Ravens. And some more PFF research, talking about Lamar Jackson here, 9 of 11 for 134 yards against pressure, 12 of 15 for 168 yards in a clean pocket, 7 of 7 for 110 yards on play action, which is probably going to be their bread and butter. His development has been one of the most intriguing things to watch around the league, certainly for me. And I'm impressed week one. I've, I, they split games with the Browns last year. I think the Browns improved their defense. I think their secondary is going to develop into something that's tough. Week one, Lamar took over, man. Yeah, nothing spectacular, but the Ravens know exactly who they are, and they stand by it 100%. Defenders on the Browns, their eyes are in the backfield, obviously with the threat of those running backs and Lamar Jackson, but they're leaving a lot of receivers wide open a lot. And defensively, the Ravens were stout. They took advantage of two Cleveland turnovers, came out with 10 points on those turnovers, and posted a shutout in the second half. I would see, I would love to see Lamar take less hits. There's about two or three hits that had me cringing, mm -hmm. but 55% on third downs, five scores out of the six red zone attempts and a W for the turnover battle. Good luck to Houston next week. Um, and I do honestly like the Browns, man. I really want to like this team. I'm, I'm trying the Browns. They just give me more reasons not to like them. Their first touchdown was Baker to Njoku wide open off play action because the run game was working. Then it just went all downhill. They lose a fumble, faking a punt in their own red zone. They miss an extra point after their only touchdown, miss a field goal, and then they go 3-12 and 12 on third downs, 0-3 oh on fourth downs. How Cleveland is that? But Baker, same thing, up and down. I try, I try to find reasons to like this kid, but he throws late off target for a pick on third down. He loses 15 yards on a weird fourth down scramble. OBJ drops one of his wide open passes and then Baker turns around and overthrows him by five yards with nobody around. He only caught three out of the 10 targets. That pair is just not working, man. But Baker, what does he really do well? I, I mean, I like his commercial. Damn, dude. <laughs> you like his commercials. 
Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. We shall move on to the final team in the AFC North. They went to New York to play the Giants. 26-16 final score. The Steel Curtain defense. It's back. Picking up where they left off last season. What goes hand in hand with that? In the, I'm not going to lie to you guys. This is an obvious takeaway that most of us have from this game. But, hey, if you earn it, you earn it. Benny Snell, he became the primary carrier after the first three drives when James Conner called it a night with an ankle injury. Ben Roethlisberger, he didn't throw for 300 yards. No receiver even got up to 70. It was Snell pacing the offense with 113 yards. His first game in triple digits of his career, this is his second year, he did have a fumble. Luckily, it was recovered by his team. Last season, took a look back, Snell played a lot in five games, rushing for a score in two of them and rushing for over 70 yards in three of them. So, look, I got the update today. James Conner supposedly is healthy. Whether he's healthy this week or the following week, it's Snell's kind of making it hard for the Steelers to take him off the field. So that's what I took away from this game. How about you? Yeah, this game, this matchup, we saw top three defense, in my opinion, versus an emerging young offense, and it was exactly that. Steelers' pass rush was phenomenal. Their gameplay to stop Saquon worked perfectly, catching him in the backfield all night, and the wide receivers were open all night, sometimes wide open. Vintage Big Ben took advantage of the moments, took advantage of the defense. He was great under pressure, made some tight throws, made some throws getting hit. Vintage Big Ben, man, I love to see that. One of my favorite players. And on the other side, Daniel Jones did a pretty good job, mostly on target. He did pretty decent versus pressure, got rid of the ball in key moments, and he was doing pretty well scrambling also. Um, O-line struggled a little bit in pass protection, obviously against this elite defense. Didn't really get an opportunity to create lanes for Barkley. Outside of Slayton, the wide receivers had trouble getting open. But keep in mind, this offense, dating back to last year, has never started a game with all those skill positions healthy. But they definitely showed some future promise. They did. You're right about that. Against an elite defense that you and I and and the whole football world sees. So, all right, looking over, Miami at New England. The Patriots won 21 to 11. Cam Newton rushed 15 times for 75 yards. 39 of those coming after contact. Hey, we'll see if Cam and his health can endure the season. I don't know, 15 runs a week. I question that a little bit, but hey, week one, he was fresh. He got it done. And what I see is the Patriots now, it looks like they have an experienced version of Josh Allen their division rival, uh, one that has tasted success at a high level with an MVP, a Super Bowl appearance. Cam's been around this league a little bit. So, hey, at the very least, they have a seasoned vet as opposed to the alternative. Between, you know, the array of backfield players on the Patriots and the O-line, they had the ball, you know, 11 minutes longer than Miami did. So, Look, control the pace, control the clock, rest your elite defense. That, that's a recipe for success. When I look at Miami, I want to shed a light on their offensive line, to be honest, who 
they only allowed four pressures against that elite defense. I know Ryan Fitzpatrick tossed three picks. I went back and watched those games, those picks included. Those were all on Ryan Fitzpatrick. He wasn't pressured on those plays. Back to the O-line, they helped a fantasy sleeper in Miles Gaskin. 13 touches for 66 yards. And you want to know something? Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, they combined for 13 touches in week one. How about that? And what do you have on this game, man? Man, I love Cam Newton, man. He's so different. He's got so much charisma. Um, one of my favorite things about him is he always gives a game ball or signs a jersey to kids, young kids. Um, but I still have the Patriots struggling this year. This matchup just screened W for New England's defense based off last year. It looked all the same for this game, too. It was elite versus petite in time of possession, red zone opportunities, turnover differential, and just overall points. It was strength versus strength, too. Fitzmagic versus the number one pass defense. We know Fitzmagic kind of carried them through some winnable games last year. Didn't show up this year. This unit on the defense for New England, that secondary excelled, forced three turnovers. We've seen this old line succeed when they were supporting a heavy run offense, and they did that here. Team finished with 5.2 yards per carry, two touchdowns, and 75 of them from Cam. New England was definitely prepared. I'm not sure if Cam can go all season carrying 15 times a game or taking hits like that. They're going to need some versatility in the past game to even think about the playoffs, especially if the Dolphins already found a way to get seven tackles for a loss in this game. Miami themselves, they're in rebuild mode. We knew that. It showed a little bit on the field, but to their credit, they were only down three with five minutes left in the game. Wide receivers struggled to get open, obviously, versus this elite secondary. Rushing attack was inconsistent. And we talked about Fitzmagic last week, possibly lacking focus after the loss of his mother. Our condolences there, but he definitely didn't seem to have his usual bag of tricks. Three picks, no touchdowns. And they were dominated in a lot of categories, but they will fight to the end. That's great leadership by Flores. I like the direction of this team. That's a good sign of an uphill organization going in the right direction. Agreed 100%. And the other AFC East game, as expected, the Bills win 27-17 over the Jets. My focus in Buffalo was on their wide receivers, the position that could take them to the next round of the playoffs. Stephon Diggs, 86 yards. John Brown, 70. Cole Beasley, 58. What's great about this trio they can all play the same style that they've always played. Josh Allen, he's already developed a rapport with JB and Beasley. Uh, Brown actually has become more well-rounded each year in his career. I, I love player development, and that's what I see from JB. Diggs, he slides right on in, wide receiver one, probably top 15 receiver in the game. And, oh, yeah, Allen. He has legs, guys. Didn't you know? <laughs> Josh Allen, man. Um, last year, he ran for more touchdowns than any other QB. He threw for two in week one and ran for another. The Bills, though, is one unit that I'm turning into. I don't know, man. I'm turning into a fan. I, I like their additions. I like Josh Allen more than most people. I'm a little weary on their run game, to be honest with you. Um, but Josh Allen can help that cause as they move forward this year. 
what do you have from this one? Josh Allen, man, we know about the legs for sure, but what I saw is that he showed poise and patience finding open guys, or he just took the check down. Made a handful of great throws. His wide receivers were making plays. The screen game was working beautifully for them. And Josh was taking the game over with his running ability, man. Multiple multiple first downs, a touchdown. But he did lose two fumbles in that mix. Defense, outstanding. Forced a punt or a turnover on eight out of those 11 drives and only allowing a field goal in the first half. They win by 10, 400 yards of offense, a 2-to-1 ratio against New York Jets on first downs, 50% on third downs, and they converted their only fourth down attempt. Time of possession was crazy, 41 minutes to 19 minutes. 3.1 yards per carry, though. You mentioned it. It's not going to cut it versus elite teams. Josh still needs to cut down on those mistakes. But I love Buffalo, man. Gotta love Buffalo. The Jets were the Jets, man. Three three and outs, four punts, and an interception and a field goal capped their first six drives. Crowder had a nice catch for a touchdown, but that was the only highlight of the day. Many of their runs were stuffed in the backfield. Tackling was a mess for their defense. To finish the game, there were 4-11 on third downs. Nine penalties. They just couldn't get anything going, man. And now Le'Veon Bell could be missing time. I feel for Darnold. We all should. Uh, Hopefully there's not a – with a a longer leash, not another Josh Rosen situation that's – a little bit discouraging there. Uh, two teams that gave us an exciting game, and they're probably going to be exciting all year long. The Raiders, they they edge out the Panthers, 34-30, to 30, exciting game through and through. If you like Dak Prescott, Ted, Teddy Bridgewater, or Ryan Tannehill, please stop glossing over Derek Carr. Prescott arguably has the best receiving trio and an elite receiving back. Bridgewater has a good receiving core with the best receiving back. Tannehill just handed the ball off 31 times, and when he throws, he has a former first-round and second-round receiver and a former third-round tight end. Look, Carr, he has first- and third-round receivers, yes, but they made their debuts playing through knee injuries. He's got a late bloomer at tight end. Granted, Darren Waller is on the map now. But to this date, year number four is his only notable campaign. Carr completed 73% of his passes, 6% higher than the next guy in this quarterback group. He led all four in yards per attempt, a stat a lot of you like, just just edging out Teddy Bridge. And Teddy actually threw the most yards of the bunch, but only 31 more yards than Carr. They're all kind of neck and neck there. Look. The Raiders, they're going to have their hands absolutely full the next five games with the Saints, Patriots, Bills, Chiefs, and Raiders. We can still give the man, Derek Carr, his due for week one, a guy that consistently gets overlooked for not really having much of a supporting cast. You didn't like his O-line the past couple of years. I like it this year. You, You didn't think they had a run game before Josh Jacobs because they didn't. Antonio Brown wasn't around, and Derek Carr still completes over 70%. This guy may not be an elite quarterback. That's fine. Not everybody can rank top 10, but you can still win with certain players that show you these type of things. You can win with Derek Carr, and he even 
said in the interview this week, he's going up head-to-head against Drew Brees. And he says Drew Brees doesn't take many chances. He completes passes, gains yards, moves the chain, hands the ball off, takes his shots downfield when he sees fit, doesn't force anything. Derek Carr is right, guys. You don't have to like him individually. You don't have to like the Raiders team. That's fine. That's on you. But I'm telling you, if you like Dak, Teddy Bridge, Ryan Tannehill, some of these game manager type of quarterbacks, maybe Dak has a little bit more oomph in him. I get that. I'm just saying, give my man some credit here. Drew, what do you see from this game, dude? Yeah, Carr looks solid. 108 rating. He often had a clean pocket. He kept it simple. He was super accurate. And to tie that together, it was the Josh Jacobs show for Las Vegas. Carr found rugs wide open, off play action for a big gain, setting up one of those touchdowns from Jacobs. Carr's second touchdown was a perfect dime touchdown pass to Aguilar in the red zone. That was butter, man. They had a slight edge on third downs, more red zone trips. It went back and forth, but the Raiders came up with a fourth and short stop to seal the game. On the other side, new coaches at a new quarterback. They just came up short when they needed it the most. Farrow Cooper did a great job on special teams, putting them in positive field position at times. Robbie Anderson made a great adjustment on a deep ball for a catch, juke, and run. Got the score, and he also got the two-point conversion. CMC was himself balling out of control. Questionable decision, though, going with Armand instead of CMC drive on the line it was a fourth and one in Raiders territory they didn't convert and they lose by four all right next game here the Bucks played the Saints things weren't too hot but that's okay I'm not the guy that panics I believe in patience who didn't expect the Saints to win this game be real be real and do pick sixes happen I get it not often come on now Tom Brady is far from done. He actually looked like a better quarterback. When you go watch that game again, if you haven't already, as a diehard, Brady and the throws he made or the throws he was willing to make in the air yards, he looks good, man. He looks good. What I saw was the team that was out of rhythm a little bit. You knew that things were going to be a little bit different when Mike Evans wasn't going into this 100% going against Marshawn Lattimore. You got to know that going into this one. Things are still working themselves out as far as new faces and new places. I didn't need stats to confirm my eye test. I see Tom Brady. He wasn't a liability last season, despite some of you wanting to nudge older QBs out of the game. Not only did he look better than Drew Brees, who is just a little too conservative for me, but, hey, we just talked about Derek Carr and the guys like that. You can win like that. I'm not trying to knock Drew Brees. I'm just trying to give a little bit of credit to to TB12. Plus, he tied Aaron Rodgers for the most big-time throws in week one with six big-time throws, over 20-plus yards. Brady was still willing and capable of going downfield. And I'm just going to stick there because that's, that's my biggest takeaway from this game is stop trying to push Tom Brady out the door. Saints played great. Even without the deafening crowd noise, defense showed up here, winning the turnover and time of possession battle. They were able to capitalize against a new look, a new look Bucks offense, racking up three sacks, seven quarterback hits, forcing two interceptions. One of them that went for a touchdown. 
New Orleans needs their rushing attack, though, up to par. Nothing really was spectacular, and we know they can run the ball, but Breeze will have to do better than 61%, especially if the reports of Michael Thomas missing some time is accurate. Yeah, you're right, man. Brady, everyone knows he threw two picks, but don't sell your stock just yet. The pick six was bad. No excuses there. But the other interception was just a communication error with Evans, Brady, Evans, that will fix itself. Yeah, I know it was picked off. We're going to have miscues like that in the first few games in this offense. It's all too new. You said it, man. He made big-time throws, six over 20 yards. But not even just the big-time throws, man. There were other throws out there that were outshined, some to Scotty Miller, some to Godwin, a lot of them in tight coverage. Don't let the loss fool you. Tom Brady made some throws this offense you know how much time he puts in the film room. You know how much he's going to ask from his receivers next week and down the road. It's too much, man. Tom Brady is going to finish as one of the top 10 quarterbacks. He just has too many weapons. He's just too smart. Oh, yeah. Easily agree in due time. And they're probably going to go 4-1, and one, if not 5-0, and oh, the, next, the next five games here. So, hey, some other NFC teams that are playoff hopefuls. Seattle at Atlanta. It turned into a fun game. I mean, Atlanta had to play from behind. They wound up losing 38-25. I just want to speak on the wide receivers here. In a game that racked up 722 passing yards, Tyler Lockett had the second-best catch rate last year. He starts this season going 8-for-8. DK Metcalf, he kind of continued last season's learning curve, catching four out of eight. That's half, if you know math. Hey, both top 90 yards on the day. Russell Wilson was cooking. It was exciting, fun to watch. They got the dub. As for ATL, Julio Jones stamped his name in year number 10. How time flies when you think about that. Julio Jones, 157 yards, sensational. Calvin Ridley, 130 yards. And Russell Gage, 114. Ridley currently leads the league with nine receiving first downs, already off to a fast start. And Atlanta's probably saying, why all the talk about Dallas and Arizona? This trio caught nine of 12 targets each. I know, I know. Seattle went up in the third quarter, and they were in play from behind mode, and perhaps some extra stats, some padding of the stats they wouldn't have gotten. Or so you think. I think that this is what Atlanta's going to be all year. Of course, I think they want to establish a little bit more Todd Gurley in that offense. But Austin Hooper leaves. He was integral to that offense last season before getting injured. They like Russell Gage, and I see why. They have three wideouts, go over 100 yards week one. I'm not saying that's going to happen every week, but damn, this is clearly one of the best trios in the league. Don't be surprised if they all hit 70-plus every single week. What would you take away from this game? Yes, Seattle, man. That was just a coaching mismatch for me. First half, Russ was sacked three times. In the second half, they made adjustments, sacked zero times. Atlanta's run game was pretty productive in the first half. Second half, they were stuffed. Shout out, Seattle. They held Atlanta to zero points in the third quarter. But Pete Carroll just made masterful adjustments. That's what separates great coaches from good ones. Russ, on the other hand, threw 35 times. 35. That's very unlike this team. 89% completion, four touchdowns, over 300 yards. 
and he was still pressured all day. He was sacked three times, hit 10 times too, but made a big statement on the road versus a big-time quarterback. Matt Ryan was actually 5-2 and two versus Pete Carroll before this game. Um, but Seattle's defense played great. Only one touchdown through three and a half quarters. Russ now is 61% on the road winning games. That's insane. Eight and one since last year. The only one with the same sample size of games compared to his comparable to his that he's behind is Tom Brady at 68% on the road. Um, Falcons, they just struggled big key moments. They were struggling third downs were solid overall, but they failed on the ones moving into scoring position. Zero conversions on fourth downs out of their four attempts, but same questionable calls here. Trying short yardage runs with someone not named Gurley. That's beyond me. Anyways, seven rushes in the first couple quarters. Good enough production. They change it up for some reason. Stop running in the third. Then they get boat race. They go up 28 to 12. Seattle does go up 28 to 12. But Dirk Cutter's got to find a way to put better production on the field. We saw these receivers ball, like you said. They're talented. But back in the hot seat again for both these coaches, if they can't get wins, I would say if they can't get four wins by week 10, see you later. Yeah, true story. And coming into this, Matt Ryan had Pete Carroll's number. Dan Quinn came from Seattle. So, hey, uh, I'm not surprised Pete Carroll still has the edge up on his formal, uh, former assistant coach here. And I know you weren't either. Moving on, another team in the NFC West, actually two teams here, Arizona. They went to San Francisco. They win in the fourth quarter, 24-20 to 20 is the game. Kyler Murray's last drive, eight and a half remaining. He goes four of five, 49 yards, a couple scrambles for 16. Kenyon Drake, he ran in the would-be game winner from the one. Murray, 26 of 40 on the day, touchdown and a pick. He ran 13 times. I, I don't remember Murray running that much last year. He ran 13 times for 91 yards and another touchdown. So, Murray did some good things, was not perfect, far from it, but he had a good day. He stepped up in the fourth. Jimmy Garoppolo, on the other hand, his last drive, four and a half to go in the game, a nine-yard scramble to start things, five of eight for 27 yards on the drive. Game ends after third and fourth down incompletions with five yards to go. Kind of interesting there when you're grading Garoppolo, both intended for Trent Taylor. Jimmy G, 19 for 33 on the day without – Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayu, and George Kittle banged up in the second half. So I get it. Jimmy G, he didn't have all the best horses on the field. I was just grading the individual in the heat of the moment with some adversity. And, you know, I, I do give him a little bit of buffer for not having, look, Debo Samuel, he's a big-time player. He's a starter. Brandon Ayu drafted high. George Kittle, top two tight end in the game, depending on your preference. He didn't have – the best players on his offense. So I get it. I just kind of wanted to see if he could be that guy. Maybe, maybe he could be in the future, but not today. What'd you take away from the cards Niners game, man? Whew. Kyler Murray, man. He looks like he's in full control of this offense. Kyler to D hop was crazy. 14 out of six targets completed. D hop was looking as good as ever. I might be wrong about that one. But Kyler had eight or nine big-time throws, and he dominated with his legs, too. Just to elaborate on that pick, yeah, he threw one pick, but he's a short guy. 
it was tipped by a D lineman. We know those tips on the D line, sometimes they get picked, sometimes they don't. It just depends on what the defense is playing. Unfortunately for Kyler, it was popped up straight, picked, and that was the only one of the day. Most of the day, he was spectacular, man. The Cardinals, they recovered a block punt in San Francisco's red zone. That led to their first touchdown. The pass rush for them brought it three sacks and six hits. Held San Francisco to 0-2 on fourth downs. They were actually 0-6 and in the first half on third downs. And then San Francisco finished it with 2-11 and overall on third downs. So great job by the Cards on defense there. You got to love the calm and confidence about Kyler Murray. The Niners did a solid job rushing the ball too. It just didn't keep up with Kyler and the pace of Arizona. I watched this game twice. I was impressed with maybe two or three of Jimmy's throws. Everything else was either a wide open drag, a crossing route, or a check down. Both of his touchdowns, actually, they were check downs. One of them was wide open in the flat, untouched. And the other one was a catch out of the backfield by one of the fastest guys on the field, Mostert, also untouched. Then on the final drive, you mentioned it a little bit, but Jimmy G, just to elaborate, he had two big opportunities. He underthrew the go-ahead touchdown pass, and then he threw away and behind for his open receiver on fourth down. Yes, it wasn't Ayuk, it wasn't Kittle, it wasn't Debo Samuel, but they were still open. Credit to the scheme of Shanahan, Garoppolo should have made those plays. I know quarterbacks can't always be great, but at the same time, we want consistency when he isn't hiding behind the Shanahan brilliant run action. (laughs) I just don't see the praise for Garoppolo, my man. That makes two of us here. Uh, There's another quarterback I have questions about. Actually, I guess both of these quarterbacks, a lot of people in the league have questions about. Talking about Dallas at the Rams, 20-17 to victory for L.A. Before we go offense real quick, I just want you to know, in case you didn't see this for yourself, Aaron Donald, 10 pressures in this primetime game. The two-time and reigning Defensive player of the year, picked up a sack, tackle for a loss, and four QB hits. It's so much more than stats. This guy just destroys two linemen every single week. It's just a cheat code if there ever was one on the defensive side of the ball. I want to talk about Dak Prescott as well for a moment. Dallas did the right thing by getting Ezekiel Elliott 25 total touches. That's a lot. That's what I – I want them to do. That's what I think they should do. And they did do that. As for Dak, this sums up what he's been in his career. Whether you're a fan or not, first half, 15 of 18 for 187 yards and a score. Smooth sailing. The second half, 10 of 21 for 79 yards, one for seven on third downs. Yeah, his O-line wasn't the usual Cowboys O-line, but I even warned you that I saw those signs last year. Yes, there were two drops on the day from his receivers, but 16 other quarterbacks, that's half the league, they suffered the same, if not more, drop passes. There's a reason Prescott is playing under the franchise tag. What do you have over there, Drew? Man, that Donald stack is ridiculous, man. Uh, I thought he would definitely control the game. Um, in that perspective, but man, that's a lot more than what I would have guessed. But uh, I mean, to tie into that, we stuck to our style, man. It was our style on the offense, the entire game, controlling the line of scrim- scrimmage, quick passes, move the pocket, keep golf clean. 
only one sack and only three hits on the quarterback. Took advantages of the mismatches there on the interior of the old line with those hits. We kept Zeke from baking the big ones. You can't stop him, but you can definitely slow him down. So didn't break the big one like he usually does. Didn't allow anything big over the top for Dak, especially with that offense last year. Soft coverage, a lot of the game, everything was in front of us. Situationally, the Rams just dominated 53% on third down. Um, Pretty solid there. Converted the only fourth down attempt and a key fourth down to stop against Dallas while they were in scoring position. Um, Dallas, I'll keep saying it, man. They got a new head coach. He didn't coach last year. They lose 32% of their starters, their best corner, best pass rusher, a Hall of Fame center, Hall of Fame tight end, a veteran third down receiver. Their solution, draft CeeDee Lamb from a yacht. Whatever, man. A offensive line struggled in pass protection. Zeke didn't have his breakout run. Dak's only touchdown was a spectacular run after catch by Zeke. And here's the loss in a nutshell. You mentioned third downs. Fourth down was terrible. But the key moment, fourth and three on the Rams' 11-yard line, down three points, and they go for it. Dak checks down, gets tackled. Why not just tie the game there? Very, very Dallas. Lose the game on that, man. That's tough. You're not wrong. Uh, it, it just sounds like maybe a new head coach trying to trying to put a stamp on things early and and having confidence. And I get it, but hey, you're not wrong. It's week one. You're on the road. You can still win this game with with some more snaps after that. Uh, hey, on to another quarterback that's constantly under fire. Carson Wentz and the Eagles go up seventeen nothing on the on the Washington football team, wind up losing. Washington scores 27 straight to win that game. And, hey, I, I'm, I'm big on Wentz, not only as an Eagles fan, as a fan of the NFL. You've been big on Wentz as well. I know you'll touch on that in a moment. Look, I, I, I know since Jimmy Garoppolo is fresh on the brain here, we just talked about him a couple minutes ago, that Jimmy G, Carson Wentz are two highly thought of quarterbacks in terms of potential. And, but I, I see them on that path towards that potential. I think it's a little bit different. I know Garoppolo went to a Super Bowl, and Wentz only helped the team get into the postseason. I understand the intangibles. There, there, there's a difference there. Uh, I, I've seen Wentz carry teams. I've seen him look Big Benish. On the other hand, I've seen Jimmy Garoppolo look more like Dak Prescott which is a good thing. It just means there's a little bit more development that needs to be done if, if there is potential beyond that point. So you look at Jimmy G, I think he's a little bit more Dak Prescott, where he's a product of the offense in terms of stats, where he was doing great last year in fourth quarters and all those numbers. Make no mistake, I think he's a capable quarterback to win with. I just don't think he's on that same level as Wentz. Granted, it doesn't mean Wentz is evading any any pressure, any heat here. When you're up, yeah, you got to know. You don't have the right side of your line, and you don't come in with running backs. You can run the ball. You still have to know you got to get rid of that ball. It doesn't matter how good the other defense is, and they are very good. Let me preface it with this on that Washington defense. I know the Eagles were, bang- Eagles were banged up and all, but you got to give credit where it's due, man. 
Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, they knew the Eagles were one-dimensional without the threat of a run game. And their D-line showed up and showed out. In our preseason predictions, we had them as a top three unit. You probably saw the highlights or the box score. I want to show some love to Montez Sweat and Ryan Kerrigan. Sweat, who had a heart condition last year that had him slip to the second round of the draft, as a rookie hustled for seven sacks, eight tackles for a loss, and two forced fumbles. Last Sunday, a sack, two tackles for a loss, and a few pressures. Picking up where he left off, he's a baller. Ryan Kerrigan, named Defensive Player of the Year in only 22 snaps. So, hey, 32 years old or not, I didn't think he was over any hill. I still think he's a productive pass rusher. And he's pretty good against the run, too. That's always been his M.O. He took the inexperienced side of the line to school with three pressures, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, cherry on top, a fumble recovery. So, look, man, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer that the Eagles are a playoff team, but we both had the Redskins winning half a dozen games knowing they were going to be a tough out more weeks than not because of that defense. Lo and behold, we see it right away. Yeah, big ups, man. The front seven, Coach Ron Rivera, every bit of spectacular on Sunday. Understandably for a young offense, too, the average age on that team is 25 years. Five out of those six drives started with a – or ended with a punt. They never eclipsed four plays. Haskins did a decent job scrambling, checking down or completing a 14-yard pass to Sims on their only successful drive in the first half, but it only ends with a missed field goal. They gave up a couple big passes. Uh, some penalties with the Eagles in scoring position, but the second half, different story. Great adjustments. That's great coaching. Washington scores twice off two turnovers in scoring position and another goal line touchdown run. So defense stopped all the next drives of Philly in the second half with two three and outs, an interception, plenty of sacks, eight on the day, and hit Wentz 15 times. Great job by Rivera. Um, for Philly, I'm – trying to focus on when this nightmare is going to end, man. I know you feel it too, but they're going into this game already down five starters, I believe. Then they lose three more. That's just from what I saw. I mean, there's too many to keep up. Sucks, man. I feel you. But despite all that, they did hold Washington to only 27% on third downs. They had more total yards, better yards per play, more completions, better yard per carry average, and less penalties. All with those missing pieces, they still ha- they still sacked Haskins three times and hit him ten times. So they do better on the depth. We still believe in this team. Most should if you look at the games and watch the games. Deshaun Jackson, only 46 yards. Ertz, only giving up 18 yards. With Wentz on his back often, man, this guy's a freaking warrior. Found a way to put up 24 completions, 270 yards, two touchdowns. Hey, man, they should be getting starters back, getting the green light for Sunday. The only thing is they can't be giving the ball away. I don't care who's on the team. Don't give the ball away in their own territory. No team can survive that. But moving forward, good things still for Philly in my eyes. Yes, sir. Turnover is the key for every team in this game. And, hey, Chicago at Detroit, a couple of other NFC teams. You got one of them making the playoffs this year. I got the other. Well, week one. The team you think is playoff bound, the Bears, they got the dub 27 to 23. 
I'm, we, we touched upon this last week. I don't see back-to-back weeks in the schedule that Mitch Trubisky is going to be under fire enough till week six and seven. But at the very least, winner if Nick Foles gets inserted, he's been there before. So I, I wouldn't really fret too much if I'm a Bears fan. As for week one, after only putting up six points in three quarters, which are absolutely grounds for getting replaced, to be honest, Trubisky scorched Detroit by going 8 of 10 and tossing three TDs in the final frame to pick up the road win. Drives of 4 minutes and 40 seconds, 104 and 41 seconds. In part to the Lions missing a field goal and a Kyle Fuller interception. However, that Chicago football, they just want a little bit of improved QB play. They at least got it for a quarter and a victory. His counterpart, Matthew Stafford, who engineered three field goal drives and two touchdown drives, shut out in the fourth. He did throw a pick, trying to thread the needle against two defenders. There was no Kenny Galladay. The Lions did lead the league with five drops in the opening week. That's not going to help any quarterback or any offense. On the final drive, Stafford went four of eight for 51 yards, excluding a spiked ball to stop the clock, of course. A couple scrambles for eight. Rookie back DeAndre Swift, he drops a game-winning touchdown from 16 yards out on a corner route. Had the guy beat, Stafford put it right there in the wrong place in the breadbasket. Lions should have had this win, though, and uh, curious to hear your thoughts on this game. Oh, my gosh, it pains me to say, but Money Mitch comes through in the clutch. With a fourth quarter comeback, I never thought I would say that. But, hey, man, started it with 7 of 16 in the first half. Very bitch right there. Unfortunately, they fail on a fourth down attempt in field goal range. Allen Robinson uncharacteristically drops a touchdown catch. A tough catch, but one he should be making nonetheless, especially if he's asking for that money that we think he's asking for. Then they'll only be able to put up six points. Everything changed, though. Second half, they outscored Detroit 21-10. to Money Mitch goes 13-20 of in three touchdowns, making great throws on the run. The game winner was a complete dime to Miller. I'll give him that. Cordero Patterson was making some key plays. A-Rub, Tariq Cohen, and Miller, was they were making some insane catches, man. Their pass rush forced two field goals. One of those field goals were missed by the Lions. That was a great coming out party for Money Mitch, man. The offense does need to improve on their 2 of 11 third down performance, but he silenced all doubters this week, this week. And Stafford, we both love Stafford. All that talent on the offense, they were kind of up and down and definitely should have won the game. Stafford goes 24 of 42, only 50% completions, throws a touchdown in the first half, no interceptions. Second half again, different story. No touchdowns, one interception, trying to force a pass into tight coverage in the middle of the field. He does lead them down the field. Drop pass by DeAndre Swift. Would have been the game-winning touchdown with 11 seconds left. Detroit definitely missed on plenty of opportunities, not just that one, to either score or get stops. The eight penalties don't help. It doesn't get easier. They got Green Bay, Arizona, and New Orleans coming up. The other NFC North matchup, Green Bay, Minnesota, turned into a shootout where Minnesota had to play from behind 
The pack gets the victory, 43-34. I'll say this much. The Vikings showed me more on offense than I think they had. Maybe I was a little bit skewed because Stephon Diggs is out of town. Uh, hey, they, they did their thing offensively to at least carry some momentum next week. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers real quick. He's not declining. He never was. The fools that thinketh such a thing. Not yet, guy. Look, five completions over 20 yards. Sorry, six. Tied for the league with Tom Brady. Six big-time plays. Four scores and seven years ago. uh, Nah, I'm just kidding. But really, four scores and 364 (laughs) yards. It's evident that Minnesota overhauled at cornerback. Rodgers shredded him. I want you to give him credit. Not just I'm not talking to you, Drew. I'm talking to the football world. This is an all-time great that is still actively great. Aaron Rodgers, sideline, middle, the seams, man-to-man, the fades, the deep balls. This guy did it all, still can do it all. I can't believe this man was getting doubted. Yes, sir. To piggyback off that, Aaron, just a little reminder for him to say to the world, I am still great losing Brian Belaga to the Chargers. So far, not an issue. No sacks, only two hits. But the Vikings front seven wasn't fully equipped. So just keep that in mind. But seven different receivers involved. Three of them scored. Devontae went off. You mentioned the secondary. I mean, freaking double the guy at some point, right? But A-Rod, this offense just simply took advantage of what the Vikings put out there on defense, the most points allowed by a Mike Zimmer coach team. He came out and he showed out, man. But Vikings, on the other hand, they scored the first touchdown, but that was all downhill from there. Here's how their next few drives ended up. Safety, punt, interception, field goal. Cousins at this point was 3-5 and with an interception. Interception was thrown on his fourth attempt, which was inevitable against a talent like Jair Alexander, who also sacked Cousins earlier for a safety. But he was locking on to the only wide receiver that he trusted. Then, if that wasn't enough, Minnesota opens up the second half with a punt, and then they turn it over on down. So Zimmer and Kubiak, they told us a lot. Only five attempts from Cousins in the first half. I think the loss of Diggs will continue to hurt this offense in the early weeks. Daniil Hunter was out in Gawkway, only in on 56% of those snaps. Obviously, he's new to the team, but didn't pair well with our new corners, man. I see this the whole season, unfortunately. As do I. As do I. And that'll cap things off for our week one takeaways. But we're going to give you a week two preview. Thursday night football, Cincinnati Bengals at the Cleveland Browns. And with I don't know what the deal is with the fans in the stands, so maybe it's not really an away game being interstate. Uh, as I look at this matchup, the Bengals moving on, they, they lost a tough one, man. Uh, they lost a tough one to the end, uh, the game against the Chargers. We talked about it a little bit earlier. A.J. Green got the OPI and then a missed field goal. On the other hand, the Browns got embarrassed by the rival Ravens, and it was a slow death, and they got pounded. Short turnaround time for bodies that didn't get a full camp nor preseason. So we'll see how many players can hold up, especially the ones that come into this game banged up already. Last year, they split their games, resulting in three and four-point wins, so they were both close. 
here, since he has a new QB, Cleveland has a new staff. I look at how tough the Bengals played, corralling Keenan Allen to only 37 yards last week. I bring that up because Jarvis Landry, he's going through some hip stuff on a short week, and he's going to try to give it a go. Odell Beckham, he's coming off a 22-yard outing, even less than Keenan had a week ago. So that's interesting to watch there if you want to put that in the spotlight. I mean, when isn't OBJ in the spotlight? But uh, Cleveland may also be without blockers Jack Conklin and J.C. Treader. That would hurt. Cincy, their defense will miss Sean Williams, Geno Atkins, and Mike Daniels. The Browns, it looks like they should have a chance to establish their ground game. I think the dog pound finds it easier defensively to play against Joe Burrow in his second game as opposed to playing against the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson, that just dissected them for four quarters. Contrary to the score last week for the Browns and their blowout loss, PFF says they played better against the run than any other team while tackling the second best in the league. So I have the Browns winning at home tonight. I'm on the other side, man. I got Cincy, Burrow, and these Bengals. They should have had that game versus the Chargers. They had it won twice. Uh, the Browns, they're built very similarly to the Chargers, so I think we have a good matchup. They have a good enough run game, a good enough O-line. They have elite pass catchers, a D-line, and an above-average secondary, and they also both have quarterbacks that coaches want to manage the game. The only difference is – Cleveland might be down eight starters, three on the O-line, second best pass rusher, two out of the three starting corners, and possibly Jarvis Landry, who seems like the only guy catching balls that has chemistry with Baker. They can't figure out the Baker-OBJ thing. It's underwhelming. Baker, not really a great home favorite. He's only 9-6 and six at home, 500 in the division, and here's what I'm looking at only three and four in the September games. He is two and zero on Thursday games, but that was versus a rookie Sam Donald two in his third game without any weapons or running back. And the other one was to Mason Rudolph add to those only primetime game wins against case Keenum with no weapons and Luke Falk backing up when Donald had mono his two primetime losses were against Goff and Jimmy G Burrow is not like the other prospects. He is up there as a prospect similar to Jimmy G and Goff with weapons everywhere on the offense. It's not a new staff. I like his poise and composure already over Baker Mayfield. Burrow just led his team on the final drive versus that Charger defense, put him in a position to win twice. That was just one drive after he threw an interception to a D lineman. So he can shake it off even after a bad play. When Baker goes into turnover mode, he cannot shake it off. And I believe there's already questions floating around in that locker room after that huge loss. The Bengals locker room knows exactly what Burrow did for that team. They love this kid. They voted him team captain. Did you see that celebration when Burrow scored his touchdown? Every single Bengal was out there congratulating him in the end zone. Who was there to greet Baker for his touchdown? One guy. I got Cincinnati, man. Some really good points there, Drew. That's why we're doing this. That's why you're here. I love those. And we'll see who wins tonight in Ohio. Look, we each have one player under the radar that we want to put out there. And uh, I'll start with Harrison Bryant, the tight end for the Browns. He plays tonight. 
Last week, he only caught a five-yard pass on two targets. Actually played 43% of the snaps. David Njoku, he's now out injured. He had 51 yards last week in 23% of the snaps. His three catches went for first down, first down, touchdown. Look, the Browns, they played 12 personnel 40% of the time last week. Jarvis Landry, we've talked about him a lot, playing through a lingering hip issue tonight. He says he's playing. Baker Mayfield is forcing the ball OBJ's way. As you alluded to, it's been underwhelming. It's not something that's going to help the cause by continuing to force the point there. And something to note, Odell has only played 15 games three times in his career, now in year number seven. Why this all matters in the equation of Harrison Bryant, look, I know they signed Austin Hooper to be that guy, $40 million contract, the free agent signing that played 73% of snaps last week, caught both of his passes for 15 yards. Not really impressive there either. Back to why I'm interested to see what Bryant can do. He was a high-volume player at Florida Atlantic. A scout shared he thought Bryant's playing style at 6'5", is similar to George Kittle. I said stylistically, not caliber, obviously. As a rookie, he was projected as a big slot or an H-back to kind of learn the tight end position. It's a little challenging to make that transition from day one, as we've seen. Strength is, you know, strength, I would say, is athleticism and finding the seams. Uh, That's what he did in college, and I think that's what they're going to have to do in Cleveland the projected area for improvement is his physical strength being tougher, you know, playing bigger. He's kind of a lean guy. I think overall it's a good situation for him. Not only getting burn as a rookie, he's got two good backs, two good wideouts. Hooper. He's a former third rounder that earned a big contract so he can learn from that guy, be a sponge. But you know what? He, he's going to be playing without Njoku. Hooper only had a couple of targets last week. So there's opportunity there. And Coach Stefanski, he just worked with a similar tandem. Kyle Rudolph caught 39 passes last year. Irv Smith, 36 as a rookie in Minnesota. So to Hooper's advantage, Rudolph, he was the featured vet in the red zone with six touchdowns. So I can see that kind of coming here and following Stefanski. I get it. But Baker, as a young quarterback that needs a tight end and security blankets and those type of routes, or look, hey, if, if Baker isn't the guy and Stefanski sees what you see, Drew, then backup Case Keenum, say he comes in for any reason. He was part of Minnesota's run to the NFC title game a few years back. He played for Coach Stefanski, and backups heavily rely on checkdowns, heavily rely on tight ends. It may not be this week. It may not even be this year because we might see some disarray in Cleveland, but there's going to be opportunities for Harrison Bryant to make a name for himself. Uh, Who's your player over there, man, that you have under the radar? I got a player on the Bucks, man. Scotty Miller. Six-round draft choice from Bowling Green. Was a rookie last year. 2019. Check the tape on this kid, man. His balance was above average. He's super quick in space. He can get open deep down the field. He ran a 4-3 on his pro day. He was making sideline catches, some of those sideline catches going to the ground. He's good at picking a zone window through the defense, too. He can make some body adjustments between defenders in traffic, and he's not afraid to bring it to the middle of the field. 
They definitely utilize this kid in the screen game too with his athleticism and on and around rushes. He can make plays in the slot and we know Tom can carve up the middle of the field. Only one of his games last year, he had an average of eight yards of reception. The other games sounded like 13 yards, 16 yards and 17 yards. He had a 95% catch rate with Mr. 30 for 30. Bring it over to this year. With Tampa Bay in his first game, five out of the six targets were completed for 73 yards and a six-yard carry. On this game, he had three first downs, 83% catch rate, only six yards behind Chris Godwin. So we see him making a ridiculous diving catch over his shoulder in tight zone coverage that game. He also had the longest reception of the day against teams like New Orleans, you know, Tom Brady could use a third guy. We don't know what this chemistry is going to be like. We saw a little bit of the lack with Mike Evans. We don't know how much Gronk is going to put in yet. So against teams like that, he'll have opportunities if he can be that third guy facing the Chargers, Chicago, Green Bay, New Orleans, the Rams, Kansas City. Listen out for Scotty Miller, my man. I like it. I hear it. I see it. And there you go, guys. There you go, diehards. Hope you enjoyed our week one takeaways, a preview at Thursday Night Football, week two, Bengals and Browns, and then a couple players were shedding a light on under the radar. You may have heard of Scotty Miller, and but it's easy to, to see that he's overshadowed. There's 2,000-yard receivers in Tampa Bay. Rob Gronkowski's a big name. O.J. Howard's expected to be a good player at some point after showing some flashes early in his career. Look, it's easy to overlook Scotty Miller, and Drew and I, we're just not going to do that. We, we see a player that could be for real, and and I see a tight end over in Cleveland, Harrison Bryant. That could be something. Uh, I like his situation, and, hey, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Twitter, on Facebook. Holler at your boys. Who are some players you're looking at under the radar? It's kind of make some moves, whether it's right away or not. It doesn't have to be this week, just in general. Uh, I think – you know, one last thing to touch up on Scotty Miller. He's probably got a more immediate opportunity to do his thing with Godwin going through concussion protocol, Evans and his hamstring issues. Uh, and then we don't know uh, about that run game. And uh, Drew, before we cut out, man, anything to add here before, before we watch some week two football? Oh, man, what an awesome week one. Glad we have football. I, I never doubted it this season. I knew they were going to make something happen, especially with NBA pushing that through. I think they did a great job week one. There's a lot of questions out there still. Can't wait for week two. We got a game tonight. Let's keep it moving, man. I'm, I'm excited. Let's keep it moving. Diehards, enjoy Thursday night football. We'll see you next week.